ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George behind the glass. It's a Monday edition of The Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. And it's the first time in quite some time that the Houston Texans will not have football this week. Well, other than the bye week. Uh, Texans lose in the divisional round to Baltimore, 34-10. to Tied at the half. They do not score in the second half. Couldn't stop Baltimore offensively in the second half. And the Ravens roll to a 24-point victory. I told you all the only chance for the Texans to win was to knock Lamar Jackson out of the game. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. I was right. I was right. That was the only chance. Only chance you had. He's really good. <laughs> and they didn't seem to make the right adjustments at halftime because you're thinking tie game, halftime, hey, they're in this thing. I don't think Baltimore, with the way they were kind of riding in with all the confidence in the world, felt like felt very good going into halftime. You're right there. And then, like you said, I mean, offensively, you can't do anything. And, you know, they find running lanes and he goes crazy. And the next thing you know, you're – Going home and wrapping up and folding up your tents for the season, and it sucks. Yeah, see, it's a. It, I'm torn on how to feel because it's a good, really good season, mm-hmm. really good season. You went, you go to the playoffs, first year head coach, rookie quarterback. No one was expecting to do that. If they, if they, if they were expecting that, they're either homers or you're Paul Gallant, you're a savant. Uh, not many people were expecting it. You win the division title, unbelievable. You win a playoff game, unbelievable, and you feel incredibly bullish about the future of the Houston Texans. So on one one half of me is feeling that way. I'm super excited about the Houston Texans long-term, super excited about the future of the Houston Texans, and that is absolutely true. The other half of me, they were lousy. They were really bad on Saturday. So, like, we can give them all the praise for the direction, the good season that they had. I know that they were playing the best team in the AFC. I think the best team that's left in the NFL. And I, I expected them to play well and lose, to, honestly. Like, I expected them to pre, like play a pretty good game, lose a tough one, and it felt that way after a half of football. But the Texans played nowhere near their best against, I think, the best football team in the NFL. So it kind of makes me a little bit sour the way that the season ended, that you didn't give your best fight to, I think, the best team in the league. Well, you know what? And I think it's just only natural, too, that when you lose your last game, when everybody but one team's going to do that, but it's the way you lose, too. The fact that, to me, what was really gnawing at me was the fact that we talk about how well-coached they were, how they weren't this David Cully team anymore, how they seem to have the right coaching staff across the board and everybody's on their game. But yet the penalties were all over the place, and they kept coming, and, and you kept seeing laundry on the field, and you kept going... This isn't like last week of preseason, first or second week, a new system, new scheme, or new players. This is where you're supposed to be all buttoned up and polished. And like you said, you're playing in the way they played. You're playing the best team, not only in your conference, but arguably the best team in the NFL. The last thing you can afford to do is shoot yourself in the foot or continually move the boundaries to make it longer to move the chains. And they kept doing it. And it was so frustrating to watch. Yeah, see, I didn't think that... I think Slowick's offensive game plan wasn't awful in the first half like they were moving the ball they just couldn't finish drives and then they missed the field goal I know they didn't score an offensive touchdown so that's not great uh I didn't think 
I didn't think the defensive scheme was very good in the second half. Like, you couldn't stop Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Raven offense. You just couldn't. You had some moments in the second quarter where it's like, okay, you're getting after Lamar. You're flustering Lamar. Uh, you sacked him a couple of times. He's just heaving the ball downfield. It's like, okay, that's the, that's the defense I need to see if you have any chance to beat Lamar Jackson. And the second half, you just got roasted. You got absolutely crushed. Uh, you mentioned the penalties. You, you can't win a game at the top seed in the AFC with 11 penalties for seven yards. You can't do it. You can't have scoring drives and, and not end up with touchdowns. And you tip my cap to Baltimore. I, I give them all sorts of praise. I, I think that they're the team that's going to win the Super Bowl. I think they're the best roster in the NFL. So I understand that the opponent you went up against was very, very good. It was going to take your best shot. They probably couldn't play their best for you to have any chance to win. The problem is, I feel like the Texans, if we're looking at it from a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being their best, I feel like they played at a 5. Yeah, I think, Jeremy, the other thing is, too, if you're getting your doors blown off or you're down double digits by the half, you probably have a different outlook on the fact that, hey, this team was just better than us start to finish. And, and you know, their their sights are set on trying to win a Super Bowl and they're lined up to do that. Their roster's fantastic. They dominated us. But when you go into the break tied and you go, hey, we got two quarters, anybody's ball game, dead even. Let's go. Let's do this. And then you see an entirely different team in the second half. The fact that the, you know the, the broadcast kept talking about it too, how D'Amico blitzed way more than he has all season long. But it was effective. Lamar didn't look comfortable all the time. Yeah, I understand there were times where they were so concerned about their lanes or not overrunning plays that they weren't getting home, but they were making them happy feet enough that they weren't feeling comfortable in their offense. And all of a sudden in the second half, and especially on that first drive, he just decides, oh, you're going to give me lanes? Mm-hmm. You're going to give me openings? Well, bye, guys. I'll see you later. And then it was like, hopefully I can catch him. Like, you had to pick your poison when you go up against Lamar. I-, I was stunned with as many free lanes as he had to run. A- and the lack of spying. It's like, well, if you spy him, then he's got more passing lanes. Cool. Like, I'd rather go down to Lamar, him beating me through right. the air. Uh, we-, we were talking about, like, the yards for Lamar on the ground. Like, what's too many? We put the number, like, f- we put it at 50. 50. He had 100. He had a. He had a long of 23, and he only threw it 22 times. Like, I wanted him to throw it 30 times. And, like, he was efficient, right? 121 quarterback rating, two touchdowns, no picks. But there was a couple of opportunities that the Texans had to pick him off. So if he throws it 30 times, a couple more opportunities to pick him off. Uh, Petrie, like, I saw Petrie get ridiculed for dropping that, that ball in the end zone. That would have been a heck of a play yeah. if he makes that catch. That's not a play that Petrie should make. It's one that he could have made, but if he could have made it, it's a highlight real play. So I feel like he was getting too much grief there. Uh, there was one deflection that kind of went behind Stingley. I feel like Stingley, when he got mossed by Isaiah Likely, that wasn't a very good throw. It was behind him, and he just... And it had to be. Yeah. It, if it wasn't behind him, Stingley has a play on the ball. I'm not going to say he would have intercepted it, but if that ball's thrown like where, where it should have been be. thrown, yep. Stingley breaks it up easy. Now, did Lamar do that by design? Maybe. Maybe he threw Isaiah Likely open. Uh, but they had some chances to pick off Lamar a few times. I wish they would have forced him to throw it more. I wish they would have limited his ability to run the ball, and they just couldn't. Yeah, when you go back and look at it and the the broadcast was making a big deal of the fact that the first time he threw it he threw it low and likely was saying throw it up throw it up whatever he said to do you didn't do that exactly right because you threw it behind him you threw it towards his his rear ear and he somehow because he's such a big body with big hands he was able to reel it in yes but that didn't look like a very good throw and I agree with you if that ball is put where it's supposed to be put there's a legit chance that you can turn the field around and say we got the ball and take possession they had opportunities. That's I think that's what makes this whole thing more frustrating. Because overall, when you look at the season and where they got to and what they did and, and this, the fact that they hung for the first two quarters, you can feel great. 
But because you had opportunities where you could have made that a closer game, where you could have been in it longer and you could have done more, that's what really rubs you the wrong way because yep. it's not like, you, you know, the final score looks like you got your doors blown off. And if you watched the game, you realized it was anybody's ball game with two quarters to play. Yeah. They, I mean, tied at the half, you, you felt like you were you had a fighting chance. Second half was awful. Uh, second half, you couldn't do anything right. The offense couldn't move the ball. Uh, the defense couldn't stop the Ravens. And I think they were both equally at fault. And, and yes, the, the, the trump card in all of this is that Baltimore is a better football team than you. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Junior Broncos uh, wish we would have hit Lamar in the head in the second half. Why, why wait that long? Uh, 713-780-ESPN. It seems to be a clear division with the fans. Who put this in here? Was it you, Blankers, or was it Joe? Joe. I haven't really seen this. But explain this to me, Joe George, that there seems to be clear division with the fans. You have glass half full. Season was a huge success, not a big deal the Texans lost. I guess that's one half of me. And then the glass half empty, which I guess is the the other half of me. The performance was awful on Saturday and is clouding the success of the season. Yeah, so you've just, seen this going on. I huh? just saw it on Twitter. It, it just seemed like there's some, and, and maybe it's, you know, vocal minorities on both sides, but it does seem like be the, minorities. Fair. Um, it just seems like there's both sides of the argument where people are almost unhappy with the Texans season now because they got their doors blown off so bad in that game. It's kind of clouding their judgment about what the season was. But then I think there's the extreme other side as well, where they're just like, eh, the Texans lost, like, no big deal. It was a great season. Like, they got smoked. It was an embarrassing game in the second half, honestly. Yeah. They, the, it didn't matter which running back it was, whether it was Edwards or Dobbins. I mean, not Dobbins, uh, Dalvin Cook no. at one point. They're rushing for five, six yards every single carry. 229 is a team. 229 is a team. It's a massive and, and this was the... And look, that's that's Baltimore's MO. Like they mm-hmm. they lead the league in rushing by a lot over second place Chicago. Their lead over second place Chicago is greater than the lead for second place Chicago or whoever ninth was. I forget who ninth was. But to me, that's why you take them away. Like you take that away. And, and I know it's difficult. I know it's hard to do. I know their offensive line's really good. But if I have to sell out to stop one thing, what are you selling out to stop? The running game. Then they ran it 42 times for 229 yards. Lamar only had to throw it 22 times. It should have been flipped. And no you question. should have dared him to throw. Dared him to throw, and you just didn't see that. This is, this is the Belichick philosophy, you know, in a nutshell. You know what they do better than they do anything else. We talked about it during the week with Kadri Ismail. The fact is, is whether Lamar is running it, and he's just an added bonus the way he runs it as a quarterback, but no matter who you give the ball to in the backfield, whoever the running back of choice is, that offensive line is really good at blocking, and they are really good at getting five, six yards per carry rushing the football. So if you want to play Belichick ball, try and do your very best to take away the run and make them beat you with the pass. Mm -hmm. And and they didn't do that. And and the fact is is that they found something that was working in the first half by sending a lot of different blitzes from different places. And like I said, it made Lamar look a little bit more uncomfortable, and they didn't have the time to do the things they wanted to do in the run game. Second half, they made adjustments, and the Texans seemingly did not. Where do you stand on that division? Glass half full, season was a huge success, not a big deal, Texans lost, or glass half empty, the performance was awful on Saturday, and it's clouding the success of the season? I'm very much glass half full. I'm just, the fact that, I mean, look, I picked them to win four or five games. I, I didn't think, I didn't see this coming. The fact that you had the epiphany of having your head coach and your quarterback for the future right there right from the start of this season and the way it finished to not only get to the playoffs, win the division. Not only get into the play, play a playoff game at home, win it. And then go up against the number one seed and for half a game be in it. Uh, I can't help but be glass half full. 
Yeah, I'm on that side of it, too, even even though that uh, apparently have a reputation for being very negative. Uh, I, I say it's glass half full, too, and it's not really that close. Like, you you didn't have the horses. You didn't have the horses. Like, you're in a divisional. If you tell me before the season you're in a divisional round game with the Baltimore Ravens, they're the one seed, you're the AFC South champions, and, and even you even if you lose by 24 points. We actually talked about this scenario last couple of weeks of the year, how these type of losses, I think, can still propel an organization. Like C.J. Stroud, okay, he went into Baltimore, number one seed, got a taste of what it was like to play one of the top defenses in the AFC. He knows where the bar's at. Uh, Same thing with Will Anderson, even though he didn't play a whole lot, played less than 50% of the snaps, which stinks because it would have been nice to have him fully healthy, play 80% of the snaps. He has an idea of what the best dynamic offense, best running attack looks like uh, in the AFC. So even though you lose these games, I I think that like you know um the road to success is always under construction and you have to fail before you succeed all of the cliches but i believe that those things are true so the value that the texans have taken from winning a home playoff game against cleveland uh losing by 24 at baltimore but tied at the half i think that that only helps them and helps them tremendously this is why you see players stay on the field even if they're not young and rookies mm-hmm. after they get beat in a series in the playoffs this is why when you start thinking about the things you said, if you, yeah, their defense is one thing. But when you look at it top to bottom and say the Ravens organizationally are regarded as one of the best organizations in the NFL. They are extremely well coached. They have an MVP at quarterback. They have an unbelievable defense. If you're any member of the Houston Texans, you just saw exactly who you want to be. And, and now the, the thought process has to be, what are the next steps for me so I can get there? And how quickly can I get there? Because you had a great year. There, it, there's no denying that. You overachieved. You did more than almost anybody could have expected. You put yourself back on the map. But mm-hmm. now, how do you get to be like the team you just watched? How do you get to be the class of a, of a, of a division, the class of a, of a conference, the, one of the teams that people are talking about to win it all? What's missing? What needs to be corrected? How do you make yourself better? That's why it was so great for them to be in that position. Busy show today. Mailbag Monday at 4.30. We'll hand out some game balls from the divisional round. Uh, we'll look deeper into C.J. Stroud. We grade him for the final time. It's going to be sad that we're grading him uh, for the final time. But plenty to get into from Saturday's loss. And where do you stand, Hive? A glass half full. Season was success. Not a big deal. Texans lost. Glass half empty. Performance was awful on Saturday. Clouding the success of the season. And how do you sum up the season? 713 ESPN HRMP listener line 713-780-3776 we're on twitch twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5 I guess we're on YouTube too we'll just search ESPN Houston on YouTube is that what we're going to say all right search ESPN Houston on YouTube he's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter I'm at Jeremy Branham he's at Joe George Radio we are the Killer Beast on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5 you know what made losing on Saturday a little bit easier Gentle Ben I've been telling you for a while that Gentle Ben is the best uh, and make this year the cleaner choice, right? We're trying to make resolutions. I know it's late in January, but we're trying to keep those resolutions. We're trying to make cleaner decisions, better decisions. How do you do that with your spirits? Easy. Make the cleaner choice with Gentle Ben. It all starts with the finest ingredients, classic time-honored distilling methods. Gentle Ben uses their innovative process that removes the harshness that's found in most spirits. The result is unparalleled smoothness and an enjoyable drinking experience. You get all the flavor, none of the burn. Uh, You'll love what's not in it, which includes undesirable Desirable acids. These acids take the enjoyment out of your drinks. Well, Gentle Ben gets rid of the undesirable acids so you can enjoy. You can enjoy all the desirable acids. Gentle Ben offers vodka, gin, straight bourbon, whiskey, cast strength bourbon. All are fantastic. All are in my rotation. Look for Gentle Ben at the liquor store, whichever one you go to. Whatever's on the way home, pick up a bottle today. Next time you go to dinner, your favorite bar, ask for Gentle Ben. If you're looking for plans, head to the Gentle Ben Tasting Room. Or... 
How about you just head to GentleBin.com? You can find out more about their incredible story. You can see what liquor stores near you carry GentleBin. Or you can just order straight from the site. GentleBin.com. Order your bottle today. It's crafted in Texas by Ricky Ford. One three fifty two eighty five. Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees. Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Glass half full, glass half empty. How do you sum up the season? Uh, 3977, good learning opportunity. Oh, there you go, I like that. 33776. Uh, overall, the results are not what Houston wanted, and it's a bummer mood on a rainy Monday, but the Texans have exceeded expectations. Can't wait for a bright future. I'm good with that. Coog Blaze, uh, go Cougs, will win six games next year. Way to bring it down, Coog Blaze. Now, if this is the 15 Astros, the Texans will miss the playoffs next year, but then win the Super Bowl the year after that. If they are currently the 2015 Astros. but We know things shot. change. We Deal. talked about it a little bit last Deal. week. We know the fact, yeah, I'll take it as well, but you do realize that the, the first-place schedule makes things a whole lot different right from the jump as opposed to this year when we knew the schedule was a little bit more conducive to success. You're going to have to... I mean, you're going to have to get better. You're playing a first-place schedule. You're playing a lot of tough teams next year. 713-780-ESPN-1715. Great season. A lot of potential. I agree with that. Let's go out to the HRP uh, listener line. 713-780-ESPN. Craig, you're in the hive of the bees. What's up, Craig? Hey, boss. Uh, First-time caller, guys. Um, I definitely understand what you guys are saying about uh, Baltimore being a good team, but let's be real. We had them. And, and, and to me, the elephant's room is it's slowly. I mean, we didn't score a touchdown at all. Tampa Bay did. Green Bay did. I mean, everybody did except for us. So the defense could only hold up for so long. So to me, he definitely looked like a first-year offensive coordinator. I was not impressed because we didn't move the ball at all. He should have turned C.J. loose and then let the defense do what it does. It would have been more free than, than what we had. So to me, I think we lost because the offensive coordinator. That's my talk. I'll hang up and hit what you guys have to say. Craig, appreciate the call. Look, I can't go there, and I'm a little surprised that you did because you think about it, and this offense, yes, you got a special quarterback, but the special quarterback had a system that was tailor-made for him and all the different wrinkles in it and all the different ways that we were so used to vanilla and so used to Tim Kelly and and Bill O'Brien and just generic, boring, smash it into the line, running it a few times, and then throw it unless it was more than 10 yards, and then in that case, just eat it, run again, and punt. The fact that they only played two teams all year where they didn't score an offensive touchdown, and it actually is one team twice. Baltimore to start the season, Baltimore to finish the season. Tip your cap to the Baltimore defense and realize the fact is is they're really talented on defense. We just talked about how talented they are overall as a team. Tip your cap to the number one seed in the AFC and realize this was a barometer to say there's still more work to do, but it's, I don't think it's any way a slap in the face to Bobby Slowick or anybody on offense. I think that the uh, offense was bad, uh, to Craig's point. Now, was it the reason that they lost the game? I'm not putting it solely on on Bobby Sloak. Defense, I thought, was just as bad in the second half. I thought the offense moved it actually okay in the first half against one of the best defenses in the NFL. They just didn't finish drives. Uh, one of them ended with a Kaimi Fairbairn field goal. The second one ended with a Kaimi Fairbairn missed field goal. And then you really couldn't get anything going in the uh, the second half. The, the best drive that you had in the second half 
uh, you got into Baltimore territory, and then you ran that little trick play, kind of the oh. uh, jet sweep, reverse, throwback, flea flicker type of thing. Uh, from the sound of my voice, from the sound of your voice, the little sign, uh, sigh there. I guess yeah. you didn't like it. Hated it because it looked like it was an accident waiting to happen, and they just averted a major disaster the way it was going down. And also because, as we talked about all year, whenever there, there's been for multiple times throughout the season when they get rolling on offense, and then they get cute. And they don't have to get cute. Just keep going. Keep keep the tempo going the way you've been going. And keep going to the things that have been working. And, and, and keep rolling. And instead, that one play can derail all the positive of where you got past midfield and you really looked like you were going to put points on the board. Yeah. See, I it's hard for me to blame the play caller when it's there. It's there. Like, if either, you know, Lance Lance commented to my, my post that, you know, because I, I said the play's there, that, that fan, like, it was a more difficult block than it seemed. But you had three blockers to block one defensive back, and then if one of them blocks them, you got two lead blockers and there's not a defender within 10 yards. It also wasn't a great ball by Stroud. Like, Stroud forced Hutchinson to leave his feet and kind of go back instead of whenever you run those receiver screens. You're supposed to kind of lead them towards the center of the field where you're running, you're, you're running forward, making the catch so we can just get upfield. If either one of those two things happen, it's a pretty big play. Like, might be an explosive play. I hate when people say, oh, it would have been a touchdown. There's, there's a, the other team is pretty fast. Like, it wouldn't have been a touchdown. It could have been, but it also probably wouldn't have been. But it would have been an explosive. I, I didn't hate the play call. Uh, you credit to their defensive line for kind of wrecking that play because Mechie had to make a heck of a play just to get it to Stroud. Okay. And Stroud had to make a heck of a play just to get rid of it. Um, and that's what led to the errant throw. But it was there. Like, it's there. If you execute that play, it's an explosive. So it's hard for me to blame play caller whenever it's there. I just, because it's been a trend all season long, I didn't think they needed it right there. And like I said, you, you, you just kind of pointed it out from, like, handoff to handoff. At every point, it looked like it was not it was something disastrous could happen because of the fact that the, the timing was off, the defense wasn't doing what you thought they were going to do, and you kind of got stuck. The bigger problem all game was you couldn't run the football. And we knew going in it was going to be a challenge because we knew how good Baltimore's defensive front was. But you just didn't know you were going to be stifled to the point where in order to create a running game, you might have to try that. You might have to try something to be even more creative just to use a pass, a short pass to try and get into a run type situation because they could not do anything running the football. And, and, and it was a problem the entire game. 713-780-ESPN. Let's go back out to the HRMP listener line. Javier, you're in the hive with the bees. What's up, Javier? Hey, guys, uh, thanks for taking my call. Normally, I agree with you 100%, but today, you know, I'm going to have to disagree. i got to say it's on slow it still because, you know, y'all said last week he lawyered us saying he wasn't going to do any interviews, but, you know, he did his two interviews. But I think he game-planned especially well for the Browns. This one, it just looked like he wasn't the same play caller because, you know, there was at least, I counted almost at least 10 runs up the middle, and they weren't doing nothing. There was one really explosive play that Singletary had. He could have maybe thought of some jet sweeps. He could have, you know, done some screen passes to the outside. What the heck was up with that flea flicker nonsense that they just stopped? If they had maybe run the reverse instead of the flea flicker, I saw the other side of the field wide open for that reverse. So I still got to put it on Slowick, you know. Um, you know, CJ, you know, phenomenal player. Our offensive line was Definitely overmatched by their defensive line. That's why you don't run it up the middle. So I'll let y'all take it from here. Thanks. Uh, look, we talked about some of this, but I think one of the things that we even kind of hinted at was that if this doesn't go well this weekend, there were going to be people that blamed Bobby Slowick interviewing mm -hmm. for the fact that it didn't go well this weekend. And lo and behold, there's way more people than I could have even thought were going to be jumping on that bandwagon and trying to ride that point home. 
The fact is, is when you want to, th- if you think about it, how much time did he really dedicate to doing the two interviews? Like, the fact is, is that you're not giving enough credit to a Baltimore defense that gets to the edge athletically very, very quick. They're very skilled and veteran players that know how to stay home. They don't get caught too far with their pants down trying to overrun plays. The fact is, whether you wanted to run a reverse rather than a flea flicker or not, the fa- what you're having to watch when you watch the game again is the defense was able to basically react as quick as they started to see the play start to develop and know where they had to be. And guys were making plays. That's what a good defense does. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Aggie Mac, can we talk about not resigning Schultz? Too many easy drops. He took the word straight from my mouth. He his hands are questionable. Oh, he had the bad drop, and then even um, like some of his catches, he kind of traps to his chest. He kind of bobbles sometimes. Uh, I I might be in the I think I am in the minority here. I uh, I wouldn't resign Dalton Schultz. I, I'm going to go ahead and make that stance right now. Two days after the Texan season came to an end, the drop was painful because we've seen it before. I mean, the fact that we've seen this very script play out, especially early in games when you can build some momentum, when you got a chance to really kind of set an early tone, and then it doesn't happen, and and, and it doesn't happen not because the play wasn't executed, because you didn't make a catch. You're right. One of the first things they teach you is catch with your hands, not with your body. And so if you let it come in and hit your chest or hit your shoulder pads, that's when there's a, a better-than-average chance it's going to bounce off. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get away from you. But price always matters, as I always say, and I think that the price is going to matter in one way. But if you can get someone similar that maybe blocks better and also you know can catch the football, I know one of the keys is C.J. really gets along with him. C.J. really likes him. You know, That's like an extra added layer of security blanket for C.J. But C.J. can get, get over it, too, if you can find a guy – that could be a little bit more physical, but still can catch the ball pretty consistently. Yeah, he likes everybody, though. Like, I, I, I've heard people like, oh, CJ's talking highly of this person. CJ's talking highly of that person. Have you ever heard CJ Stroud talk poorly about anybody? I don't know that I have, but I, 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 I think the one thing that I, I, I'll say to, to counter that is he goes out of his way from the early season on of saying how Dalton's been like a big brother. Dalton's been a guy that, you know, has been able to be someone he can lean on that he can talk to. And that's a little different than you're right. He's always a very upbeat, positive guy. But I think that from the standpoint of way he, the way he talked about Dalton Schultz, the, the, the teammate, was a little different than he talked about some of the other guys. 5798, what I hated the most about the game is the Texans won the coin toss and did not defer to the second half. First play of the game was a run up the middle for no gain. Texans go three and out. That frustrated to me, frustrated me to no end, along with all the pre-snap penalties. I, I also, like, that's obviously not the difference in the game. I also hated that. I couldn't stand that they went against what they normally do. And DJ Bienemy tweeted out about it, too. Uh, he said, Texans won the toss, won the ball first. First time I think they've done that all season. Um, I couldn't remember them not deferring whenever they had the option. And we hear all week from D'Amico. Well, it's just like any other game. It's just like any other game. Yeah, it's a playoff game. The stakes are higher, more attention. But it's just like any other game. We prepare for it like it's any other game. And then you win the toss, you get the ball, and right then you send him. Well, it's not like every other game. I didn't like so, that either. It, you know, it's, sometimes it's it's trendy. Trendy last week was Green Bay won the toss and went right down the Cowboys' throat and sent a message. Well, you're not all going to be. You're not all going to have that success like that. And and the gamesmanship, the game within the game, is always. And I think it was it was best within. I, I want to say it was in the. Um, it might have been the Kansas City-Buffalo game, but in one of the games this weekend, they really highlighted you want to win that four-minute window. The last two minutes of the first half, the first two minutes of the second half. If you can control, you can change the entire outlook of the game and the momentum because if you score going into to, to the break 
and then you know you're getting the ball to, to start the second half and you can send the message and keep the momentum going, it could be a complete game changer. And I think that's the mentality that every team should have. Mm-hmm. Green Bay was trying to motivate a team that thought that they, you know, a lot of people thought they didn't have a chance to win and it worked out for them. But more times than not, the, 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 the gamesmanship play that works is defer and take the ball in the second half. I, I'm a big fan of the two. It's almost like a two for one. You score mm-hmm. going into the half, you score coming out of the half, plus you guarantee yourself one more possession, potentially. You guarantee yourself the possibility of one more possession than the other team. The other team can't have more possessions if you defer. 713 in the second half. 713-780-ESPN-HRMP listener line. Uh, we'll take your thoughts, your comments. Also, I feel like I get a feel of where this show is going today. So because of that, 713-780-3776, are you mad at Bobby Slowick. Why the hate? Do you really think that the interviewing hurt the preparation? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. First, I got to tell you about the greatness that is Pro Dunk Hoops. They make the highest quality basketball goals you will ever find. Tempered glass backboards, fantastic. Breakaway rim, you'll need to know a little bit more about that later. Stainless steel hardware, it's height adjustable too. Five feet anywhere down to ten, or five feet from ten feet anywhere in between. It is fantastic. Also, their new innovative Thor, where you can raise and lower the goals with a drill. You can do it in lightning speed. Takes five seconds. Easy to do. It's uh, idiot proof for guys like me. I was uh, dabbling on Facebook a little bit earlier today, and the Facebook Marketplace had this old crappy goal that they were trying to give away. Yeah, they're trying to give it away. They couldn't even give it away. Why? Because it's crappy, and it's not a goal from Pro Dunk. Pro Dunk goals you don't give away. In fact, they bring up the property value of your house. So if you get in a goal this year, make sure it's a goal from Pro Dunk, whether it's for you, whether it's for your kids. Uh, whoever it's for, make sure it's a goal from Pro Dunk. You can order everything online, too, including professional installation. If you're not good with a level, you're not good with a ladder, don't worry about it because the pros at Pro Dunk are. They will professionally install your goal at the perfect height, perfectly straight. You don't do a thing. Don't lift a finger. Hang out inside. Do what you got to do. And let the pros do all of the work for you. Give them a call right now, 281-351-9822, 281-351-9822, or visit ProDunk.com. That's ProDunk.com. Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. Are you mad at Bobby Slowick? 713-780-ESPN. Why? If you do, why, why are you mad? Do you really think that the interviewing hurt the preparation? Uh, real quick, uh, 8807. Have you all talked about D'Amico not challenging when Singletary clearly got the first down, uh, then tried to go up the middle, got stuffed again on that third and short? They didn't seem to treasure each possession play. I think that's where D'Amico needs to grow as a game manager. First year, like you expect a few things. Uh, that's one area you can point to that needs improvement. I saw a lot of people griping about the officials there. Yeah. Yeah, the officials screwed up and, and made a poor call. That's why the NFL gave head coaches challenges so they could challenge poor calls and get them overturned. Uh, yes, it was a poor call, but it was also poor management by the Texans coaching staff not challenging that because Singletary did get robbed, got a bad spot, and it would have given the Texans a first down. It's fixable, right? It's not one of those calls where you can bitch and complain that the, it's the officials, it's the officials, it's the officials. Look, the official on the fly is running up, and that's where he thought he spotted the football or saw the contact down with, with a knee or whatever the case. And, and you have the ability to challenge that play. That's on your replay booth. That's on you and your communications with your replay booth. I was surprised that they – it really didn't look like they were on the headset and trying to ask someone in the box, hey, did you see that? Should we look at that? 
because I I tweeted about it the minute it happened. It looked like it was a bad spot, and in retrospect, when you look at it, they ended up punting too. If that could extend a drive, get you a first down, moves the chains, get you a chance to keep going, that builds momentum. So it was that was a tough miss. And you're right. That's something that they definitely have to get better at. 713-780-ESPN. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line. Bob, you're in the hive with the bees. What's up, Bob? Hey, how you doing there? What's All up, right, Bob? I'm not, I'm not so much upset with the coach. I'm not really upset about the game. What's upsetting is the word if. Everybody talks about it. If we could have done this, we could have, would have, should have. But at the end of the day, we weren't even supposed to be in the playoffs. Everybody had expectation. They're so excited all year long. They're looking at what this rookie quarterback is doing, playing phenomenal. Now, Baltimore had the trump card. They knew that if they can stop the run, they're going to put the ball in the rookie quarterback and have to make something that happen. Now, the first half was definitely different than the second half, and that's when you show experience and a, and a season a seasoned team. Baltimore's been in the hunt for three years. Look what Lamar Jackson's been doing. He's never come to the promised land. This is his year to break. So this is Houston here of being in the hunt but not coming to the promised land. Expectation was way too great, and I think they accomplished the goal. Uh, they got some one. They get some wins. They got excitement going on, and they got one hell of a rookie quarterback. Appreciate the call, Bob. Look, I think that, you know, in the way you broke it down, you want the ball in the hands of your rookie quarterback. You expect that he's going to do what he did all year and he's going to make plays, but it's increasingly more difficult to do that when you can't run the football because now the defense knows at a certain point you're going to either abandon it or you're just going to be doing us a favor because you're running into a very stout defensive line that doesn't have to do a whole lot of adjusting to make sure that they could handle your offensive line and your running backs. So it makes it even increasingly more difficult for CJ to do what he is capable of doing, and we know he's capable of doing it. it you know, it, it was a hell of a ride. It was a hell of a run. You ran up against the buzzsaw because they're a better team, and once they settled in after halftime, made adjustments, and capitalized and focused on where their talent lies and what they do best, no matter what they did, it was going to be tough to beat that team. Yeah. The only way, the only way you're going to win is if Lamar got hurt. That was the only way you're going to win is if Lamar got hurt. And, and just being sarcastic, Bounty Gate... Although the Texans would have won if they knocked him out of the game. Uh, five eight nine five. My my daughter said that the earth is sad because the Texans lost, and that's why it's raining. Your daughter's a sweetheart. I hope she's like under the age of fourteen. Three eight seven eight. That's not a Josh Giddy <laughs> comment either. I just you know it's be it'd be weird if somebody in their teens is saying that. I was gonna know, say like, it'd be eight, weird if someone sweet. like if someone like twenty five said that. Yeah, that's, be odd. that's awkward. Like if your twenty seven year old daughter is saying that, it's a little different that's than weird. if your seven year old daughter is saying. Yeah. That. Uh, three <laughs> three eight seven eight. Shed some light on the undisciplined offensive line uh, for pre snap penalties. Crybaby Tunsil and I don't get fined now. I can now say Laramie Tunsil that the season is over. So I'm super excited about that. Even though you know they lost, but it's a little bittersweet for me. I can say his name now. Uh, Crybaby Tunsil. I have a target on my back. Pre snap penalties were too many. Too many. You can't win like that at number one seed Baltimore. Nine and a half point favorites. You cannot win committing eleven. Offensive or eleven penalties. Period. You but the pre-snap penalties were brutal. Yeah, brutal. You can't constantly be first and fifteen. It's hard enough to get first and ten and get ten yards on that defense when you kept shooting yourself in the foot and setting yourself back, and it, and, and it, they just kept adding up. And you're like, okay, I can understand adjustment early on to you know what it's really going to be like on the road in the playoffs with a really really strong home home field advantage like they have in Baltimore. Sure, maybe one or two. 
But when you get to 11 penalties and you just see that they keep mounting up the same way and it's the same two guys, a lot of it was on the same two guys, but you look at it and go, come on, guys. Like, really? Have we not practiced enough with pumping in music or doing what you got to do and silent counts and all the things that you get by with to make sure you can handle the moment? That looked like they weren't ready for that moment, and that was a shame. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Uh, Branham got his wish. He wanted the Texans to get whipped because that's how you learn uh, GTFOH. A lot of letters there. I'm sure it means something. Um, I didn't want that to happen. I say I say I rather have that happening than missing the playoffs. You're kind of taking what I'm saying out of context there. Nine one nine eight. And context is king. All of you should learn a little bit about context. All of you. Uh, this is the the difference of uh, of. Are you mad at Bobby Slowick? You're not mad at Bobby Slowick. 60-30, people were so butthurt we didn't win. Wake up! It was by far the best team in the NFL, but what a great game for these Texans to evaluate themselves with. Uh, agree with most of that, but then you have four five three nine. I absolutely feel the lion's share of the offensive struggles of the Texans uh, at Slowick's feet this week. Interviewing for a head coach position, five different positions, isn't the same as the cashier job at McDonald's. It takes dozens and dozens of hours to prepare for something like that, contradicting or, or contacting your trusted people, rather, putting together a proposal for the team, etc. Nobody in their right mind can say he wasn't distracted. See, we discussed this towards the end of the week. I can understand that you can have your mind wander from here and that you're in the car or, you know, before you you lay your head on the pillow that, you know, you can start thinking about the what ifs or the scenarios. But I think that there's a mutual understanding between teams looking for a head coach and a Zoom chat with a guy that's still in the playoffs that we're not going to go hours and hours. You don't have to have this whole presentation. That's what's going to be. That's what's going to happen when you meet in person after the season's over. But I think that if you're in that position, you're that very same position, and you know you are facing a life-changing possible promotion to be a head coach, and you're asking this guy because you're a fan of the team to pass on that, then I think that you're being silly. I think the biggest thing that you can say is you did mislead us because you led us to believe in a press conference, whether you flat-out said it or you beat around the bush to say, I'm focused on Baltimore this week. I'll get to those when the time was right. And then we started hearing the time was actually right this week. So I understand that that caught people like even us off guard because we were told one thing and then another happened. But overall, if you're in his position, you're going to probably do the same damn thing because you realize what a life-changing promotion it could be. Yeah, I don't don't fault Bobby Slowick for doing it. I'm a little annoyed that he he misled everybody. Like, yeah, I'm going to interview him. Of course I am. I want to be a head coach someday. Um, the misleading was was weird to me. Like it, it just it hit me the wrong way. But I do agree that there's probably an element of distraction. Is it the difference between them playing good and playing bad? No. Is it the difference between them winning and losing? No. But he didn't have 100% of his mental capacity last week spent on Baltimore. And I can understand why fans would be upset at that. Because this texture is right. It does take a lot of work, I think, to prepare for a head coaching interview. Especially multiple ones. Because you're talking to them about personnel. You're talking to him about like what is your plan what are you doing day one so there is a lot that goes into it uh not the difference between winning and losing not the deep the difference between offense playing poorly and playing good uh but I can understand fan frustration of him not having his mind 100 percent on the Baltimore Ravens I, I understand I hear what you're saying I just think that the in-depth conversation the philosophical conversation no doubt you get to know the guy you see what kind of player he, I mean uh, what kind of a person he is what his makeup is what his philosophies are what he would do, you know, as as the head coach kind of thing. But I think when you get down to the roster breakdowns, changes that we made, be, that would be made, how to best utilize the guys that are under contract, I still believe those would be more of the big, long interviews that happen in person 
and this was more of like icebreaker and a lot of times just to see, hey, what's first impressions? Is this a guy you want to continue talking to or is this guy not the right fit for what, whether we, you know, culturally, organizationally or culturally locker room wise? 713-780-ESPN-HRMP listener line 713-780-3776. Are you mad at Bobby Slowick? Glass half full, glass half empty. How do you sum up this Texan season? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville loves the people of Houston. Look, he's a successful doctor. He does a lot of plastic surgery. He does a lot of different things very, very well. I think he's the best in the business at the Neograph procedure because I personally had experience with him on this. He came to me. He said, Joe, I just want to talk to you for a second one day and explain the Neograph because you might be interested. When he explained it all to me, I was extremely interested because the Neograph procedure is getting your hair back. It's not the sprays and the creams and the foams that mask the problem. It's literally taking hair that's never going to go away. Genetically, you're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head. He explained that to me when we met. He said, so I'm going to take some of that and put it where you need it most. In my case, it was my hairline in front. Other people experience baldness up on top and back. It doesn't matter where you need it. He can actually make the procedure happen, and you can almost instantly see follicles that are there. They're going to grow. They're going to get stronger and longer. And basically, in about six to nine months, you're going to see the full results, and you are going to be excited because you got your hair back. You got coverage. You know what I'm talking about. You look in the mirror, and you're like, whoa. I don't have to wear a hat. I don't have to you know, worry about not anybody seeing the fact that I don't have the hair I had when I was younger. The fact is, you're going to get your hair back, and it's going to stay and be with you for the long haul because these follicles, 95 to 99%, are going to stay and grow, and they're never going anywhere, and that is a game changer. But you as a listener to ESPN 97.5, I've got another game changer for you. You get a free consultation with Doc Linville and his staff. It normally costs 150 bucks because you listen to us. You get a meeting with him and his staff free. All you got to do is go to 975hair.com, set up the appointment, ask questions, get answers. No obligation. Just see if it's right for you, too. I can't encourage you enough because it was a game changer for me. You might be the next in line. 975hair.com. Go see my friend, Doc Linville. Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. He's Blank on Branham, 713-780-ESPN. Are you mad at Slowick? Glass half full, glass half half empty. I think I've screwed it up in a proper way, though, at least. Screwed it up in a way that I didn't get dumped. Uh, 713-780-3776, the HRP listener line. Let's go out there for Matthew. Matthew, you're in the hive with the bees. What is up? Guys, I think what really happened in the game is they didn't have a spy on Jackson until about midway through the second quarter. So he just played Matador with all the guys that were blitzing because they were run blitzing like crazy. He just sidestepped and then just take off because he could recognize that we were in just a man-to-man. He just chasing our defense down the field. And then when we put Nelson in to uh, spy him midway through the second quarter, they didn't do anything the rest of the half. We would have been ahead if we kicked uh, got that field goal. Then we start the second half. They get the ball to start the second half. Second play of the second half. Nelson's hurt. He's gone for the rest of the game. After that, it was just one, two, three, Cancun, as far as I can tell. <laughs> was was it Nelson or was it Christian Harris? Nelson left the game with what I think they put him in the protocol. The game was kind of over by then. Yeah, but I thought Christian Harris he, was supposed to be the spy. Well, I don't think that they use spy very often. 
Well, uh, because to, to Matthew's point, I think Matthew's right. Like they rarely use spy. Every now and then they would do, really. I don't. I didn't see them do much by period. You would see them blitz off the corners and right. then like for, like cover up the middle so Lamar didn't have any like gaps to run through. But for the most part, I didn't see much spy play. Well, I thought that I, I want to say that one of the announcers indicated too that when Harris went out, they were going to find a different spy because I agree with you. Early on in the game, they weren't because the blitzing was working a lot really well. But then I thought about midway through the first quarter that they were using someone to kind of watch spy him a, at least a little bit. And I didn't think it was Stevie Nelson. I thought it was one of the linebackers. But then I also thought they made reference in the third quarter when Harris went down. Oh, they're going to have to. It's going to be interesting to see if they find anybody else that might be able to spy him. But in the second half, they they weren't holding their lanes. They were doing things totally differently to where they basically were just inviting Lamar Jackson to run all over them because the holes weren't like a sliver here and a sliver there. It wasn't what he saw in the first half. He wasn't rushed, and when he when he looked it up the field, he thought, well, there's a freaking red carpet. I might as well just take that. Yeah, it was, there was a lot of lanes for him. It was it was bad. Uh, Battery Chuck says they were rushing four and doing lots of stunts, which left the middle open a lot. Sometimes they, that's true. That, that, that's true a, a decent amount, but they were also blitzing more than they've blitzed all year. The, the thing they blitz like over 60% of the snaps in their season average is around 25%. Yep. So they were sending extra guys a lot, but they, they were not using spies. Uh, and then whenever they did rush four, they were doing stunts. And if you do stunts, you got your defensive linemen running all over the place, and it leaves easy holes up the middle for the best running quarterback in the game today. So I think Matthew's spot on. I think Battery Chuck's uh, spot on for the most part there as well. Uh, seven one three seven eight zero ESPN two eight nine four says that Harris was the spy and was able to run him down a few times before he got hurt. I don't know if he was spying or if that just where he was like in in coverage because they run a lot of zone and then he just reacted. I, I'm not e- sure. Either one is possible. I thought he was spying. I-, I thought that he was doing a good job, effectively keeping his eyes on Lamar. But regardless, anybody in the middle has to do that anyway. I mean, they, they have to be able to watch the middle and clog it up, especially if you're sending extra personnel at the quarterback. Seven one three seven eight zero espn Are you mad at Slowick? 4-3-2-1. Not sure if the interview thing messed him up, but definitely his worst coaching game that I've seen this year. Um, made a couple poor choices on fourth and two, I thought, and also that trick play that only seemed to trick the Texans. Um, there's been some, there's been some duds like Carolina was a dud. The Jets game was a dud. And I know that Stroud got hurt in that game. Cause if you knock out the opposing quarterback, you increase your chances of winning, uh, sarcasm is better, better, Atlanta? better mention that, uh, well, the Jets did the Jets. No, I'm knocked saying, out you're Stroud. talking about the duds. Atlanta, Atlanta was, a, was dud. a dud. Um, so there's been some duds for yep. this offense. Yep. Uh, th- this wasn't the only dud all year. And then we, we talked about the trick play. Like it wasn't perfectly executed. Uh, you had a couple of Raven defenders that wrecked that play by getting getting into the backfield, making it look off. But if Shroud connects with Hutchinson on a decent throw and or they pick up a block there, that's an explosive play. So there's a lot of things to critique Slowick in this game. I, I have difficulty critiquing the uh, the trick play there. Uh, 6100 on the plus side, there's a better chance we keep Slowick due to yesterday's performance. That is interesting. Like if you're somebody right now that does not like Slowick a whole lot, you're mad at Bobby Slowick, do you want Bobby Slowick to be here? Next See, year. I, again, I'm looking at it from the positive side because I think we both have said it would be good for all parties involved if he was here for another year. And I think that if you want to look at it from the positive side of what happened yesterday against a team that, look, if you're just being honest with yourself, you were going up against uh, the, the best team in football. So it was, an, it was going to be an uphill battle no matter what, and everything would have had to have been perfect for you to be having a chance to win late. The fact that you didn't win and now he's catching all this heat if you're a, if you're a true Texans fan, well then hope that 
it discourages teams that wanted to talk to Bobby Sloak and he doesn't end up getting the job because then it's ideal for you in, in year number two of the, of the big-time plan of this team going forward because another year of not having to change a thing offensively means they can just work on where they had some shortcomings, and overall, everybody's better. Yeah, I, I want to keep Sloak. There's me no too. doubt about that. Junior says, if I'm trying to hire Sloak, that game definitely scares me. I don't know how much you put stock into that because like the other team's just really good. Uh, 9470 is the counterpoint to what we were just talking about. Whoever wants Sloak to be their head coach, they can – Bad word, have him. Your offense didn't score a touchdown or more than a field goal in a huge divisional playoff game. Trash, exclamation point. Penalties and play calling were amazingly bad. CJ's going to grow and get better no matter who the OC is. Bye, Bobby Slow, exclamation point. Didn't even add the IK there. He's calling Bobby Slow. I think that's an insult. I think that the entire text to me was insulting because for as much as you want to poo-poo all over him because of what you saw yesterday or Saturday, where were you the rest of the year when you were singing his praises and, and watching right before your very eyes an offense, a quarterback, a, 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 a set of receivers, uh, the, not the starting running back you had at the start of the year, a, ma- a patchwork makeshift offensive line throughout the year, have success over and over again. So much so that you won double-digit games and you won the division. So it's easy to crap on him now, but overall when you think about it, the biggest thing that you should be worried about is how is he as a leader of men and how is he in the interview process? Because that's what's going to get him, make or break his, his job because he doesn't even have to call plays in his new, new job if he gets a head coaching job. But the way he's going to get it or not get it is going to be impress people with his ability to lead men, convince people that he is going to be in a, in a yeah. position to be a manager and be the best C, CEO uh, guy you know that a coach can be. I think whoever hires him though would want him to call plays because I think part of probably his, right. Like, a huge part of his allure is that he called plays for the Texans and helped the rookie quarterback. Uh, but I agree that leadership should be looked at as one of the key things you're looking at uh, when you look at a head coach. King of Twitch probably has the most enlightening uh, comment. It says the team's interviewing Bobby on you. The Texans are going to get blasted by Baltimore. That's probably true. That is probably true. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Let's go out to the HRP listener line. Troy, you're in the hive of the bees. What's up, Troy? Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, I've been just riding and listening and all this talk about blaming it on Bobby Sloan. There's ain't but one thing you can blame it on. You played a really good football team that's been there and done that, and they're just a better football team. You got beat. There is no blame to blame anybody on. I mean, you just got beat by a better team. I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, Troy. I appreciate you always listening. Look, I mean, that's what that's kind of what we were indicating that. You're going up against a team that demolished the 49ers in Santa Clara late in the year when everybody was waiting to see that game. Then they went back and demolished the Miami Dolphins when everybody was talking about their offense. This team has been on a roll up until week 18 when Lamar didn't play and they rested a whole bunch of guys they needed for the playoffs. Did they come out of the gates a little rusty? Sure, a little bit. But overall, once they fell back into their groove, you're playing the best team in football. And as good as you've been all year, we all knew going in that you weren't there yet. Now you know how far that gap is, what you have to do to try and get to that level. But everybody should be tipping their cap and realizing that's the best team in the NFL. 713-780-ESPN. These Texans fans are being too hard on Bobby. Uh, Aggie Matt, the game is not on any other GM's mind. They already have plenty of consistent data. Uh, that game was the exception. All right, seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Who are we giving game balls to from around the divisional round of the NFL playoffs? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five.